0: Weirdos, weirdos, vandals, Welcome to the Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, professor of political science at Northern Kentucky University. I'm joined today by my conservative counterpart, Cleveland-area attorney and defender of freedom, Jay Carson. Hey, Mike. Hey, Jay. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good too. So (laughs) that's good. All right. So I don't know. It just seemed kind of like a downturn on the regular show. You know, you don't normally have a thing, but it was just like there wasn't a thing. And I've come to count on that. And I'm just find myself. Yeah, I'm sorry. But that that's okay. I'm used to being let down by by the world. Anyway, so let's get into it. Uh, there are a number of things we wanted to talk about uh, on this midweek show. The first being uh, a Supreme Court case, actually, sort of two related cases: uh, Gonzalez versus Google and Twitter versus Tamna. And in both cases, it's being alleged that social media companies aided and abetted terrorism by knowingly providing terrorist organizations uh, a platform to communicate and to recruit. And in each of these cases that uh, the, the people bringing the cases argue led to the death of these individuals. And the main thing that distinguishes these cases is that in the Google case, the key question is whether Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act provides Google with immunity. Now, the Twitter case At least at this point, doesn't raise any CDA issues. It's focused more on whether Twitter can be said to have knowingly provided substantial assistance to terrorist groups, which would be a violation of the Justice Against Sponsors of Terrorism Act. Criminal
1: charge. Yeah, Yeah.
0: and I should point out, just as kind of an aside, the Justice Against Sponsors of Terrorism Act was vetoed by President Obama in 2016, overridden 97 to one in the Senate. 348 to 77 in the House and was actually the only veto override of the Obama presidency. And if you if uh, folks would remember back to that, there were concerns about how Saudi Arabia would react and some other things like that. But it was uh, 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 one instance where I, I certainly agree with that override. But anyway. Jay, I thought maybe we could start on this by talking about what sort of protection Google or, or any other provider of an online service has under Section 230. And this is something we talked about before, but just to kind of get make sure everyone's on the same page here, kind of to summarize, Section 230 says of the, uh, sorry, of the Communication Decency Act says that no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. And also that providers can't be held liable for any action voluntarily taken in good faith to restrict access to or availability of material that the provider or user considers to be obscene, lewd, lascivious, filthy, excessively violent, harassing, or otherwise objectionable whether or not such material is constitutionally protected. Now, on one hand, if Google isn't considered a publisher, but simply a medium through which the content's distributed... It would seem that there isn't any liability here. But on the other hand, yes. but, but on the other hand, there's this question that Deputy Attorney General Malcolm Malcolm Stewart raised in oral argument this week. He he said, What if a platform is able, through its algorithms, to identify users who are likely to be especially receptive to ISIS's message? What if it systematically attempts to radicalize them by sending more and more and more and more extreme ISIS videos? Does Section Two Hundred and Thirty protection still apply then?
1: What do you think, Jay? I think that's a really good question. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You don't get to be Deputy I, you know, Attorney look, I, General I, just because. Yeah, you're. I'm often I'm often mistaken for Supreme Court <laughs> Justice Mike, but um, no. Um, look, as as you point out, so I mean, a little history is instructive here, right? In that Section Two Hundred and Thirty arose in, in nineteen ninety six. Um this is when everyone was getting um CDs from AOL. <laughs> God um, yeah. Right every like every day um um you know to to log in and the internet was this this vast new thing and the the concern was well you know newspapers are held can be held liable uh, for uh, publishing defamatory uh content. Um and, or or obscene content um which I've heard there's some of that on the internet. Um and you know the the concern was, well, are we a publisher like a newspaper that could be held liable? Or are we simply a community bulletin board uh or are we more like a, a a telephone right? I mean, if somebody picks up the phone and calls you and says something defamatory, uh can you sue the phone company um so that's that was sort of the the bargain that was struck was um these are a list of prohibited activities, right the communications decency uh that uh things that that uh, uh people cannot do online but um we are giving the um, uh the, the the services uh civil immunity uh in in terms of their ability to you know they can't be sued for these statements um uh, and also they are uh allowed to exercise what would be editorial control without being treated as a publisher, right? Because that's kind of the test, right? If you, if you exercise editorial control, then you are, in fact, a publisher. And this has created an exception to that rule. And it, it seems to be a very wise and smart exception in that um, it's difficult for, uh, uh, at least it really was difficult back in 96, uh, for uh, uh, online platforms to edit and uh, see everything that's being posted. I think it's less difficult now. Um, but what we're talking about here is a situation where it's not a matter of acting as a publisher, but going even a step further, right? Of not even setting editorial control, um, but but targeting. And, and that's something to me that the statute just really didn't address because I don't know that um, uh, the drafters of the statute you know had thought that far ahead or or that was sort of technology that wasn't uh really i guess um, available or i suppose it must have been dreamt of in those times, right but the idea to to continually target someone based on an algorithm based on what they've already been interested in um uh is 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 something that that evolved much later. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, definitely I think agree, that's yeah. that's that's the question that I think it's just it's just uh, 230 as, as it's written does not seem to apply to what's going on here. Um, I, I don't know the answer um, See, it, to it, this. It, it
0: seems to me that kind of as a matter of I think there's this common sense understanding of what a publisher is. And based on that common sense, not legal understanding, but the common sense understanding, these these services have evolved into becoming publishers. Uh, but as a matter of law,
1: but the statute says you're yeah, not a public. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And so that that, as you said, may, might have made a lot of sense in 1996. But I think today uh, this is well, this is something that needs to be addressed in law and not through the courts. And, and you know, uh, Justice Kavanaugh said this in the oral arguments this week. He said, you know, isn't it better to keep it the way it is for us? to put the burden on Congress to change that. And they can consider the implications and make these predictive judgments. And Justice Kagan added on, you know, it's not like we're the non-greatest experts on the internet. And I think exactly, exactly right here. So there's a big problem, but it is not a problem. I don't think that should be addressed through uh, the court, sort of a tortured what would have to be a tortured interpretation of section 230 of the CDA. And so, in this sense, I think the Ninth Circuit was right. They said, as long as this came up from the Ninth Circuit, as long as the recommendations from the algorithms are content neutral, meaning that if you like cooking videos, you're like me, you like dog videos or, or pocket night videos, that's what you get. And if you like jihad videos, well, you get more of those, then that, that protection applies, basically. And I think that's bad law now, it's outdated law. But until it, until Congress updates it, that does provide that protection. But I, I do think that should change that. That's my take. What, what do you think about that position?
1: No, I, I would, I would seem to, to read it the same way. I, and I would be, um, yeah. And I, and that, my sense is that's probably where the, the court's going. Um, yeah. I don't think there's very this, much an inclination. But, but, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, um, yeah, I would, I would say that to, to, I mean, I, yeah and and this is we we had a, a a long discussion on on 230 um revisions a while back. Uh and I'm I'm actually for some and and against others, right? Um
0: Well, and conservatives, uh, for the most part, have a problem with that second part of it that allows them, that allows these companies to uh, implement their own rules for whatever they think might be objectionable. And that's, they believe that's, you know, uh, against conservatives, that sort of thing. Whereas uh, liberals are kind of on on the other side of that, obviously. But, but, but yeah, but in this particular instance, it seems like we agree that uh, even if we don't like the law this is something to be handled by changing the law and not something that the court should step in and change, which it doesn't seem like they they seem all that thrilled to be, they they don't seem to be too inclined to want to do that in the first place.
1: Yeah. Although no, I think they,
0: they did take the case, right? So there had to be at least some, they could have just said, no, we we're not going to, we're going to deny this cert petition, but they didn't do that. So there was at least some interest in Saying something potentially about it, one yeah, would think. Yeah, hitting up
1: hitting up this issue and saying, I mean, if nothing else, saying that the Section two hundred and thirty that we drafted in nineteen ninety six is is no longer uh, meets the needs of twenty twenty
0: three. Yeah, and and just sort of basically calling on Congress to to yeah. change that, which is a different message than just saying, well, the Ninth Circuit ruling stands undisturbed, right? And so I think there is some advantage to taking the case and holding forth on it, even if it's to affirm the Ninth Circuit, to let them know that, hey, if you're in the Sixth Circuit or the Fifth Circuit, the same rules apply, basically. And that can be that can be a useful thing, because the Constitution should mean, and the law should mean, federal law at least should mean the same thing, whether you're in San Francisco or, uh, or Cleveland. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, 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 for
1: at least most of the time. Yeah, time time. There you go.
0: So what about that argument that in the other case, that Twitter aided and abetted terrorism. Because in oral arguments there, Justice Kagan had this interesting thing to say. She said, you know, if a bank can be held liable for knowingly providing financial services to a terrorist organization, which which they can, then could Twitter potentially be held liable for knowingly providing communication services to a terrorist organization? And just like, you know, we wouldn't say, except the banks claim that, well, you know, we're just a neutral provider of banking services, and hey – We'll give it. We'll we'll provide banking services to Jay or to Mike or to Jihad Joe, what have you. We shouldn't accept Twitter's similar claim that it's just being neutral as to viewpoint or ideology or anything like that. Well, what do you think about that that
1: argument? So i I would say uh, aiding and abetting is is something that's you know different than. Uh, you know just i think there again there has to be a, a, a knowing element right to me that's that's the, if there is a uh if you have a a service and terrorists exchange messages across it um uh without your knowledge without your knowledge that they're they're planning some terrorist activity um i i, I don't think that qualifies as as aiding and abetting but uh, and again i'm not a i'm not a criminal law you know that's not my my area of expertise um but yeah. When you are aware of the messages and transferring the messages and, um, <laughs> supporting, uh, communications between, um, uh, bad actors, I think, I think there, there could, there could be a claim there. Cause again, the, 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 the argument, you know, at this point isn't, did, did they do it or not? It's, it's, could they be prosecuted? You know, could a prosecution proceed against them? Um, it's not the, on the, the fact of it, um, so I, I think it it does kind of turn on the facts, um, and at this point, I would say the facts would would indicate, yeah, there could be a factual situation um, uh, where where they could be aiding and abetting. So
0: and it gets into the question of what do we mean by knowingly like if you have a yeah. sense that maybe this could be happening as opposed to being told clearly and unambiguously that these groups are using this and you have a duty to shut this down and you ignore that that's that's a whole different kind of thing you know but but i think what's probably more likely is the court basically punting this decision and they could do that by deciding that essentially under the under the anti-terrorism act individuals and companies can only be held liable for aiding abetting aiding and abetting a person who's doing a terrorist thing rather than aiding and abetting a kind of more generalized act of terrorism. And so, in other right. words, my point being is that the, the family, the, the Tamna family in this case, unless they can make a plausible claim that sort of persons directly responsible for uh, Thomas's death were aided and abetted, those individuals were aided and abetted by Twitter kind of, connect those dots, as opposed to just saying, well, Twitter's used by a lot of these folks who are engaged in this behavior. It seems to me that you can say, well, under the, the language of the statute, that does not qualify as directly aiding and abetting. It's maybe something we don't like, but it doesn't mean that you necessarily have grounds to bring uh, a suit. I mean, that, that's kind of how I read this, yeah. at least. Yeah. So no, that,
1: I, I would agree with you
0: on that. And and, and maybe it's best at the court – I guess I get uneasy when the court kind of weighs into these things, even if there's an outcome that I think would be my preferred outcome, certainly. you know, I don't want Twitter aiding and abetting knowingly or unknowingly terrorism, but having the court sort of make what I feel to be questionable or tortured interpretations of statutes just so they can achieve my preferred policy end is something that leaves me deeply uneasy.
1: Yeah. No, same here. So,
0: there we go. All right. Well, why don't we move on to another case? This is actually a case that the Supreme Court unfortunately declined to uh to hear and I think that's that's a big disappointment here. Uh It's also kind of near and dear to my heart. Uh, the case is Novak versus City of Parma and uh I grew up on the west side of Cleveland right next to Parma uh that kind of hometown connection. I spent all kinds of time at the Parmatown Mall back in the day. And there's also, for me, at least a Novak connection. I don't know Andrew Novak. This is the guy who asked the court to hear this case and appeal from the Sixth Circuit. But I did have a huge grade school crush on Julie Novak. And so um, I don't know if they're related at all. Could be his kid. That's scary. But uh, yeah, there you go. Um, So that's a little personal information there. Uh, That that did not turn out well. Uh, but (laughs) But anyway, so interesting connection. So Anthony Novak, anyway who may or may not be related to the Julie Novak I knew back in the day, he created a parody Facebook page in 2016 that made fun of the Parma Police Department, after which he was arrested and indicted based on an Ohio state law that bans the use of of a computer to disrupt police functions. Novak was acquitted by a jury and then he sued the police in the city of Parma, arguing that his free speech rights had been violated. His argument was basically that he was exercising a fundamental American right of mocking government officials in parody posts that included, among other things, an offer for free abortions in a police van, uh, a pedophile reform event with games and quizzes and the opportunity for pedophiles to become honorary members of the Parma police force. Stuff, pretty broad satire, right? Um, now, the district court held and the Sixth Circuit affirmed that the doctrine of qualified immunity means that Novak can't bring a civil suit against the police. Uh, he claimed his arrest was retaliation for the mocking, but the Sixth Circuit said, well, there's no recognized right to be free from retaliatory arrest supported by probable cause. And in the end, they ruled that the officers reasonably, even if mistakenly, concluded that probable cause existed. And there were a lot of interesting amicus briefs to the Supreme Court here urging that they hear the case. Uh, there were the ones you'd expect, ACLU of Ohio, the Cato Institute, the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression. But there were also a couple of far more entertaining briefs, the uh, two that I really enjoyed, from the Babylon Bee and The Onion. And in its brief, the Babylon Bee starts off by calling itself a dangerous far-right misinformation site that typically peddles fake news, but... When its writers are up for more of a challenge, occasionally uses satire to draw on and reinforce actual misinformation and conspiracy. And in their brief, they argue that the Sixth Circuit's ruling, if allowed to stand, allows the state to punish vast swaths of speech, erstwhile protected by the First Amendment. And the fact that Novak wasn't convicted by the jury does little, if anything, to lessen the chilling effect on speech they call the Sixth Circuit's decision qualified immunity on steroids. And they also defend their fellow amicus briefers at The Onion, writing that while they may be staffed by socialist wackos, they're arm in arm with these socialist wackos on this issue. And for its part, the Onion's brief notes that, well, it rose from its humble beginnings in 1756 and now enjoys a daily readership of $4.3 which of course makes it the single most powerful and influential organization in human history. Uh, Once you get past that, though, in its brief, the Onion argues that parody functions in large part by tricking people into thinking that it's real – And that requiring that a purity be clearly indicated removes a lot of its force. They say, without the capacity to fool someone, purity is functionally useless, deprived of the tools inscribed in its very etymology that allow it again and again to perform this rhetorically powerful sleight of hand. It adopts a particular form in order to critique it from within. And that a reasonable reader doesn't need a big disclaimer to get this, at least eventually, that parody isn't the actual thing that it's parodizing. So, Jay, uh, uh, what do you think about all this? I guess, you know, the, the applicability of the Ohio statute in question of this case, the Sixth Circuit's ruling, and whether or not the Supreme Court was right to not grant cert on this.
1: Oh, I wish the, I wish the court would have granted cert on this. Me too. Um, uh, just for, for those reasons. You know, the Sixth Circuit originally had sided um uh with with Novak in an earlier stage in the case. Um and uh, Judge the Par uh written that um uh you know, imagine if the onion had to um post that this was a satire on every issue every every time they posted uh they, they printed something. Um obviously, yeah, you you missed the joke, it's 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 gone. I, I think the Sixth Circuit's decision um is based on the thing that you and I have talked about a couple times on qualified immunity and that is if you don't have the clearly defined constitutional um right which means like you know this almost exactly factual scenario has occurred before and been found unconstitutional then then you're you're going to get the qualified immunity um so in 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 some ways the the case was um I don't want to say not a not a big deal, but but not not necessarily, you know, breaking new legal ground there, right? There was nothing um that would be be a a new holding. Uh the Sixth Circuit relied on precedent of this is how these things are treated, um, rightly or wrongly, and and uh decided it. But um I think the the writers uh made their point, um, even though the case was um uh, not taken up by the by the Supreme Court. And and the Supreme Court it's it's sort of funny. I mean, the what they'll take on cert and what they don't. Um and and a lot of times it comes down to just what else they've they've got um on, on the table. It sometimes it comes down to vehicle issues, right? Sometimes the you know you can have the same case, but it would be much better made by different facts or a case that might have some procedural bumps in it that, that it's easier if you have a case without the procedural bumps. Um, uh, so so yeah, it's I would say it's not uh, impossible that the US Supreme Court might not take up another case on qualified immunity uh you know sometime in the future. Um but it just passed on this one. Um and i and hopefully that uh you know the Union and Babylon B will be there as well. There was also I I'm, I'm thinking of other you know one of the great first satirical briefs uh, P. G. O'Rourke wrote one. Um and I'm trying to think what the case was. Um uh but yeah, it, it it sort of it sort of started off with the line of this is the single greatest uh brief ever written in this court. <laughs> sort of the, 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 um but but again, the whole uh, nature of the idea of, of protecting uh parody. Um so I think what I'm saying is I think that the court may may look at this as the, the court probably was not was looking at le- this less as a free speech right to parody case and more of a a qualified immunity case.
0: We hope you enjoyed this preview of our Supporters Exclusive Midweek Show. If you'd like to hear the rest of the episode, we hope you'll consider becoming a supporter. Supporters get ad-free access to all of our shows, membership in our Politics Guys Discord group where you can join in on the conversation, and other benefits at different levels of support. To become a supporter, go to patreon.com slash politicsguys. You can also support us through Venmo or at politicsguys or through PayPal. You'll find all of our support links in the show notes as well as at politicsguys.com slash support. And if you'd like to get the midweek show but you're not in a position to become a financial supporter, that's not a problem. Just send me an email at mike at politicsguys.com and I'll be happy to get that set up for you.